Well, hey guys, welcome to the Boning Soul Podcast. Thanks for joining me again. I greatly appreciate it. So, I like to cook. I love to cook. And I love to cook anything that I hunt myself and kill myself uh, even more. Uh, to me, it's part of the hunt. It's a huge part of the hunt. It's uh, just as important to me to do the, the butchering and the processing and the cooking uh, as it is uh, the, the actual you know searching and, 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 and killing and harvesting or whatever, whatever animal I happen to be, uh, happen to be hunting for. Um, so any time that I get a chance to talk to somebody who is equally as passionate about cooking, definitely, uh, I'm going to do it. And if it's somebody that's also a hunter, then I'm certainly gonna gonna do that so today's guest is a guy by the name of Nick Otto now Nick is the host of the hunt of war podcast he is over at the um, uh, sportsman's nation podcast network and uh, you know very 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 cool podcast he's got you know different different people on some of them are chefs some of them are just like kind of home chefs uh, kind of like kind of like me and uh, Nick says you know he's he's kind of self-taught self-trained kind of thing too he's not a professional chef and hasn't worked in a professional kitchen but Maybe, just like you and me, I don't know if any of you guys are really into this kind of stuff, but, um, you know, if you have a passion for something, you just kind of dive in and, and, and do it and learn it, and YouTube is a wonderful thing. So, um, yeah, I, I've been wanting to talk to him for a little while, and, and I'm glad we had a chance to do that. Uh, we could have gone on for a whole lot longer. We could have gone on for, for, for hours. Um, I can talk cooking just as much as I can talk hunting and archery and, and, and never get tired of it. So, um, you know, if, if, if this is, if this is your bag, great tune in, listen to the whole thing. If you're not into the cooking thing, well, you know, you're going to have to catch, uh, you know, a, a different guest on a different episode or something like that. But, um, this is something I'm really, really passionate about. I love it. And, um, so we get into, you know, we get into all kinds of stuff, you know, we get into his history, we get into, uh, you know, cooking, we get into, um, just I don't know everything everything under the sun well you know what what kind of tools in the kitchen I consider them tools um, you know tools in the kitchen cooking methods that kind of stuff and I don't we don't really dive too much into like actual recipe recipes but just more like concepts and stuff that um, maybe you can uh, you know glean some information off of that and attempt to do some of these things uh, yourself meaning you know, if you've never attempted to do sausage or if you never attempted to do anything other than just ground burger, uh, maybe it might inspire you to to try some new things with different cuts of, uh, of meat instead of throwing away, or not throwing away, but instead of, you know, grinding, let's say, like shanks or, uh, or the shoulder or something like that. You can make some pretty amazing meals out of them. So um, we get into all, all, all that kind of stuff. So it's uh like i said we could have talked for a very very long time and there's definitely going to be a part two on this because uh, i kind of feel like we were talking it's like you know brother from another mother kind of thing so um other than that let's see uh kind of updates uh turkey season's winding down for me here and uh i've i've only I've, I've had a couple you know encounters as far as like like seeing turkeys and and chasing around chasing them around for just you know a, a couple days here and there none of them have been able to actually come in but i've had some great inter great interactions i just haven't been able to entice a tom to leave whatever he's doing you know uh midday midday is kind of what I, where i've been going and uh, entice him to leave whatever he's doing and whatever other you know hens he's with and come 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 check me out but uh, it's been fun it's been fun doing the run and gun thing again no blind this year still running that uh, you know really cheesy funky chicken uh, decoy uh, that Jake decoy and um, I got a, uh, a leafy suit 
I'm kind of ditching, not ditching the ghillie. I mean, I'm still probably going to keep it, but the ghillie was just, you know, it's a lot hotter, it's a lot heavier, and it picks up everything around you. And, and I kind of joke that the ghillie kind of pick, you know, it, it, it automatically uh, blends in with, with wherever, um, uh, you, you know, your surroundings because it picks up every twig and leaf. And I mean, you bring back half the forest when you, when you walk out of the, you know, with that thing. But um, it was, it was kind of a pain. It's not as easy to put on and off. Um, the leafy suit, it's, it's, it's very cool. I'm going to do a review on it uh, pretty soon, probably on the, uh, on the YouTube channel, the Boning Soul YouTube channel. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot lighter. It's a lot easier to put on. It doesn't get uh, tangled up and stuff. It doesn't bring, you know, half, half a tree out with you every time you move around. So that's that's been that's been kind of cool, and I think it's going to be just as effective. Um, I just haven't had a chance to test it yet because I haven't had anything come come close by. But it's been fun doing running gun, walking around, making on um, natural ground blinds, and uh, you know, in deadfall and that kind of stuff, and just 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 being mobile. I really really like that instead of just sitting there, um, you know, in a uh, in a pop up blind. So anyway, uh, that's that's pretty much it. Um, we are gonna I guess we're, we're kind of heading into June here so make sure it's gonna be hunting season pretty soon so make sure you start shooting your bows start tuning your bows don't wait till the very last minute um, if you happen to be a compound shooter definitely don't wait till the very last minute um, if you listen to my, my was it last week's guest I think uh, previous episode with uh, Garrett uh, Prohaska he uh, will be the first to tell you don't wait until uh, August September to all of a sudden be like here tune my bow because you're gonna have a, a long backlog um, either learn how to do this stuff yourself or take it in now so your bow is good to go. Shoot your arrows, shoot your broadheads, get everything in tune, and um, shoot with all your gear on. So I guess that's uh, probably the best thing I can I can suggest. And uh, yeah, I guess that's that's kind of that's pretty much it for the updates. So uh, without any further ado, here is my interview with Nick Otto. go ever recording awesome cool so uh nick otto thank you for uh thank you for joining me on the boning soul podcast how you doing hey i'm doing great emra thank you so much for having me on too i love getting a chance to just reach out and and talk to folks um i tell you the medium here of podcasting is really i think people just find the excuse to talk to people about what they're excited about and now we just get a chance to record it so i appreciate you getting a hold of me no uh 100 i think um half of my guests it seems like are just other guys that do other podcasts you know what i mean because i listen to them i listen to their content and it's just you, you you do that kind of virtual campfire kind of thing you're like you almost like get to feel like you know people you know what i mean it's just an excuse to sit around and talk hunting and and, and all kinds of stuff you know so you do the uh the hunt of war podcast which is on the sportsman's nation podcast network correct you betcha yep um hunt of war podcast it's it's where we want to utilize all of our wild game to the best of our ability and being able to just find ways, whether that's through culinary uh, exploration, being able to just try something new, or it's the same time of like, man, I never used to hold, hold my shanks whole. And well, they've given me some ideas. Maybe this year I'm going to hold my shanks whole. Mm -hmm. Or even when we get to our butchering stuff, and I, I'm going to try to highlight a little bit more of that preseason because I do... I do feel like sometimes my timing is off on some of the, the butchering talks because guys were like, dude, my deer's already cut up. 
So I got to get a little better on my timing. But our whole emphasis is, yeah, just using more of our wild game, whether it be waterfowl, fish, or, yeah, the big one here in Michigan is white-tailed deer. That seems to get people fired up here in our state. So, yeah, that's our, our podcast, and I've jumped on Sportsman's Nation. This is uh, year, year two on the nation, and I tell you, I can't find a better group of relatable guys that really just want to talk about their passion. They're just like anybody else. They hold a nine to five job or they're finally getting their way to working into being able to share content. And it's just a great group of people to tune into and basically listen to their content. Yeah. Again. And I I don't, I don't think there's enough, um, uh, I guess foodie related, uh, podcasts as it relates to hunting. And, um, you know, for me, you know, I always say like 50% of this whole endeavor is because I love to cook, right? Um, I'm not, I'm not a professional cook by any means. I just really, really love doing stuff in the kitchen. Um, and anything that combines the two, you know, passions, if you will, I'm, I'm all for. So, I mean, you got hunt, gather, cook, right? Hank Shaw, which he doesn't really put out stuff like very regularly, you know, which is kind of frustrating because I like a lot of his stuff and a lot of his stuff is like really waterfowl based, you know, but there's not a ton of other um, like food based podcasts, you know, I mean, even mediator, even, even Ranella doesn't do, uh, a whole lot of food stuff anymore, unless it's on, it's on the, like the videos, you know what I mean? Or the, his, his, uh, Netflix show. So when I started listening to you, I'm like, cool, this is like, um, just a, a, a relatable guy. Uh, just, you know, you got, I, I guess we can get into what you do in, in your real, in your real job kind of thing, but you know, uh, you know, family guy, time constraints, lover of the outdoors and loves to cook. So maybe if you can kind of give like a quick little, um, history about, you know, what, what you do for your, you know, in the real world and then how you got into the whole cooking thing and how this whole thing started. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so yeah, by trade, by day, I am a physical education teacher, elementary level. Um, so all the fun stuff, scooters, parachutes, uh, we play a, a type of dodgeball where we're not out to kill each other. At the same time, there is the one kid where I'm definitely like, you know what? If he gets out a few more times than everybody else, I'm okay with it. <laughs> but I tell you, it's I love the whole aspect of being able to teach kids to just be active, be moving. Um, we get into some fitness stuff with at that level. We get into some nutrition stuff. And it is fun to really make a connection between food and where it comes from. And that's really, so as I got out of college and really started living on my own, I don't have a cafeteria to feed me. Um, I'm trying to not go back under the roof of mom and dad at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a a wife at this time. So it's like, yeah, we're, we're getting out of our apartment. We finally get our first house. And I feel like things are opening up to me to like finally get into a hobby. And my buddies had been bow hunting for years and years, well before um, well, before I ever got into it, I was a wrestler during high school and my parents own a turkey farm. So right when season started and right when Thanksgiving processing began, there was no time for me to ever go out and get in the woods. Um, I didn't have my parents be, uh, hunters. I mean, we were out in the door outdoors all the time, you know, camping during the summer. Um, we do some fishing here and there, but you know, it was haul hands on deck for, the family farm. So I made this jump out into trying to be a bow hunter and take on, uh, getting some 
you know, some good wild venison for myself and my family. I wanted to take a real, uh, real good hard poke at basically shortening that food chain. Mm -hmm. So my first year was 2010 and I was unsuccessful in 2010. I think I wounded a deer at that point. So I really got the real good hazing of like putting a hit on a deer and then having my buddies try to help me find it. They end up arguing and it's just, all of a sudden we're getting a fight in the middle of the woods <laughs> over, <laughs> should we push on further? Should we not push on further? And I'm over here going, I don't even know what's going on. So then it comes next year, 2011. Now I'm like, man, there's weight behind this. I can't just be flinging an arrow. I got to really own up to this shot. So, you know, the practice piece got in that year. Uh, and then I actually did put a hit on a little fork buck, my first buck. And just to be a part of that process of putting an animal down, I had put down, I mean, hundreds of thousands of turkeys. That's it's just something, but the environment was different. And there was more of an emotional weight when it came to putting down my deer. Cause I watched it drop and kick there on the ground and it walking up to it. And even though it was a little forky, I had the opposite of ground shrinkage where I walk up on this deer and I'm like, it's getting bigger and bigger because I'm realizing how much extra work is going to go into this. So that's turkey. really, yeah, that really, <laughs> was kind of like the eye opening of like, man, we've, we got to make sure that we take care of all of this and to really kind of get into what comes in after the shot. Uh, looked up some butchering videos at that point, you know, things weren't, hadn't really taken off yet. It was still new. Um, as far as the foodie culture was really hadn't taken off in full flight at that point. Um, but at that, at that minute, I, I dissected that deer as best I could. We ended up with a lot of what we call giblets, which are really small steaks yeah. that you can't even, I mean, you have like five or six giblets to make a meal. It's almost like shish kebab at that point. If I put mm -hmm. them onto a stick, then they would be shish kebab. And I had a lot of burger. So we used the entire animal, but I still was like, man, there's gotta be something better than the job that I did. And if I could, if I could do some research here, if I could really jump into this, I could find a way to really process this animal correctly or find a way that's going to allow me to use the most cuts that I can. And that really began the journey of not just into venison, but then expanding out into, well, what else is at my disposal? Picking up small game. Um, waterfowl is going to be its own type of thing. I feel like I'm really equipped now for deer hunting. And now I don't know if I have the funds to really get equipped for another hobby. I'm not sure how much my, <laughs> my hunting budget can hold that together. Oh, but you, all all you need to do is get a friend. I do the same thing. I have a buddy that lives just down the street from me and, uh, he's got all the waterfowl hunting thing or the, the gear, right? So when you actually, I'm sure, have you, have you gone with anybody water, waterfowl hunting or I have, I have. Okay. So, you know, you look at all that paraphernalia, right? Um, however many dozens and dozens of decoys. I mean, have you ever priced out decoys? Like oh, just in a, in a sack of decoys is like thousands of dollars, yeah. <laughs> just, just the decoys. And then you got the boat and you got this and that. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to be good friends with you and pay for your gas and, uh, get, you know, send you some, uh, some summer sausage when I make it. And we're, we'll, you know, we're good with that. So you can, you can pay for that. I'll tag along. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Case of beer and summer sausage over. That's the big, pl that's the good yeah. plan right there. Yep. 
so yeah, that's kind of where I got my start. And then from there, it's been, all right, what else can I bring into the kitchen? How can I, how can I elevate this? Uh, growing up watching like Michigan out of doors, it's a great show. Um, and they, they would have a like five minute or even like a two minute segment on making a wild game dish. And it usually involved making a gravy or cream of mushroom soup. <laughs> I was going to say cream of mushroom soup. <laughs> <laughs> bacon. And somehow that was all together. And it was just kind of like this brown mess. And it was like, well, there you go. There's there's the recipe. Well, heck, that looked like last week's recipe. You mm-hmm. know, and I really wanted to find, I'm like, there's somebody passionate about that. There's got to be someone just like me that's out here wanting to elevate. And through the start of my podcast, yeah people have been coming out of the woodwork and it's like, we are in the, I think the golden era of being able to talk to not only hunters on, on how we use stuff and share ideas, but even talking with non hunters and even people that are like, ow, the the food thing that you're doing is it's just a, a facade, you know, it's just something you're hiding behind. But the fact that we can bring this and present, like, look at all the effort that we're putting into this. Look at, this is really why we're doing it. Um, Several of my episodes lately have dealt with just Hunter's reaction to the pandemic when the food chain broke in the United States and how hunters were, you know, really took a sigh of relief. Like, man, I got a freezer full of meat here. And it became like a a real diplomacy at that point where folks are saying, hey, if you need ground, I got tons of ground. If you need any meat, I, I got that here. Or even gardeners, they're opening up their freezers to say, hey, if you need produce, you know, I'm loaded with, with frozen, whatever you need. So I think that was probably a really good thing for our hunting and foraging and gardening community is that when that food system broke, the people that were close to their food really felt safe. That, that That's a really good point. Um, I think you kind of hit it on all points. Not only, you know, were we in good shape, but uh, the, the diplomacy part of it. And you, you did make an interesting point, though. I guess I never really considered that. There are people that say, Oh yeah, yeah. You're you say you're just you know you're in it for food and this and that, but let's just you know you're just in it for thrills to kill. You know what I mean? But to be able to prove like, hey, here's an actual dish that I have you know heart you know and, and soul into, and actually serve it at like uh, at gatherings, uh, you know barbecues, whether it's whether it's like a sausage or. Um, uh, even something as simple as jerky, you know what I mean? But I mean we all like to do like the you know some of the fancier type of stuff and and. Um, you know, put it on Instagram, like, hey, look what I just made, you know, this and that. And I think it does get across the point that, okay, well, they really do have a, a real passion for the actual food side of it. And then they're not just using it as an excuse to go and, you know, just, just shoot, shoot shit up. You know what I mean? So, um, that, that, that's, that's a really great point. I hadn't thought of, did you, um, t- so are, are you c- kind of self-taught then for, for everything that you do? I am, um, growing up at the, the turkey farm, um, I've got a good grasp at being in within a processing plant. So I had kind of an understanding of what the commercial meat industry looks like, at least on our small scale. Um, mm-hmm. We're a family run business and we've been grandfathered in to have a processing plant and actually have a storefront. So, you know, we're bringing birds in that you, you need to get the correct cuts for being able to sell that in the in the retail front. So learning how to how to bone out uh, a turkey thigh or being able to not only take off the breast, but not leave a lot on the carcass. You want to get as much of the meat off that bone as possible and just really becoming proficient with 
a a boning knife. I tell you, the six inch Victorinox boning knife. I mean, it it that just fits into my hand right now. It's almost an extension of my fingers. Like that sucker just fits really good. Or even like the Dexter, same sort of uh, poly handle and just a real hard carbon uh, blade on it. You know, if you you dull it up on a bone, you can quickly bring it back it to a good edge. Um, but yeah, you're gonna they dull easy, but at the same time you can bring them back quite quite nice. Yeah, but hold hold a thought that. on the uh, on the on the equipment for looks. I do, I do want to get into knives and stuff because that's uh, you know I I like talking about that stuff too. But yeah, we'll we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper into that in a, in a little bit. Good deal, good deal. Yeah, yeah I just started your uh, uh, Trevor Stills um, when he does the high quality knives. I'm just in the first part of your episode on that. I I'm not quite up there with him when it comes to like a boning knife. I'm going to either snap a knife or it's going to, you know, bend it out. So Mm -hmm. cheaper, the better on some of this stuff. You know, if we get to the high end kitchen knives, we'll go, uh, we'll bring that into the kitchen, but yeah, I like to stay cheaper on that, but we'll, we'll get there, um, soon enough. But as far as like learning how to cut, um, from a Turkey to then venison, I had, I had to explore the internet. Um, I went to the point where I was contacting a guy, out of England. I really liked what he was doing, um, showing a lot of old world techniques with um, a lot of the game that's over there, a lot of lamb. Um, pork was big over there that he was doing, but they can get venison year round. Um, Munjack and roe deer uh, are prolific over there. So, what I learned off of was this guy that looked like he was cutting up a corgi on his uh <laughs> on his butcher block there and i then had to translate that into whitetail so yeah there was some size difference where he said oh you you know you can get this many servings out of that and i'm like oh double that for sure but which uh which guy are you talking about because uh, I've, I've seen a couple gotcha um his name is scott ree and it's yes scott okay ree project. Yep. yep yep fantastic channel by the way oh yeah yeah scott, scott, it's uh at r what is it r h e a is this how yeah it's spelled R-E-A. i think yeah it's that's his last name scott r-e-a re yeah and he goes by srp scott re project oh yeah there are there's dozens and dozens of stuff that you can just go on the deep end i mean two ice cubes put yourself three fingers of bourbon in a in a glass or a whiskey or if you're a, a beer guy and just sit and watch 45 minutes of him take apart this animal you know, I'm getting side looks from my wife. She's like, honestly, you're watching that video again. And mm-hmm. I'm like, when it comes to, when it comes to this, I'm actually taking notes on like timestamps. Like there might be a point I have to come back. Um, but yes, using him as a base and then going through and then working out an animal, it really is one of those things. Like they're made to come apart. There's intelligent right. design in what we're looking at here. And it doesn't have to be this hack show, this hack job, you know, like the first deer that I had where it was just little slivers of meat and I didn't know what I was doing. I was almost making ground without a grinder, just with my knife. Mm-hmm. Yes. But yeah. Having, I, I've been there. Yep. Having somebody give you the, the ins and outs and just give you a direction to go with. And it just becomes, oh, this is, this is so simple. And just being able to show that and do that. And it does, it makes using your wild game much more effective. And you know what? When you watch some of those, um, uh, those the, the foreign videos, let's say, right? Like the Scott Ree, and so, there's a couple others out there. Um, they, you, you get to see some different 
uh, butchering techniques and different, um, I, I don't know what, the, like, like finished products, let's say, right? Because they, they'll, 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 they'll make their cuts differently than we do. So instead of like, uh, God, I, I'm, I'm not really versed in, in, in the lingo, like right off the top of my head, but let's say, you know, we're pulling off a back strap or we're pulling off, uh, you know, tenderloin, this and that. Well, they will cut, let's say, like across the rib, let's say, or through the spine, and they'll have a different presentation of, of uh, uh, I, I don't know, they, they, they just cut things differently, you know, and in, and in the butchering world, I'm sure you've, you've dove into it a little bit, they've got like three different names to do the same presentation, whether it comes from England or whether it was, you know, done here or French or whatever. But you do get a, a wider kind of variety of like, oh, maybe I don't have to just like take the backstrap off and just, you know, make cut, you know, make uh, make medallions out of it. Maybe I can leave it with this part of the bone and that part of the bone and this part of this other, you know, tenderloin and have like a different presentation kind of thing. So you get you, you get you get a you get your your um, I guess your view of what cuts are supposed to look like a little expanded than what you see here. Yes. And it really becomes a presentation, uh, artistic touch to things that, you know, you're not just pulling off boneless meat at this point at, you know, you, when you got a, when you got a dough and it's early October here in Michigan, and it could be 70 degrees during the middle of the day, there's a bit of heightened urgency that needs to happen. This has got to get mm -hmm. in a chiller. This has got to get packed up. This has got to get cold. <clears throat> So sometimes the presentation bit does have to take a back seat, but you get, you know, you get a buck where it's later in the season and being up here in the Midwest, if it's real cold out and you can let that hang for several days, you're going to have a chance to really have a play with these different cuts. Mm -hmm. The backstrap, for instance, going through and actually uh, hitting the ribs off the chime bone or off the, uh, the spine there so that you're able to then have almost like a little tomahawk at that point where you've got the bone connected. And that's a really like fun presentation that you can do. Take that even a step further and leave it all together. And now you can create a, a rack of these where you can either leave them as double or triple um, as a roast style. Um, they've got that, uh, or they call it a crown at that point where they actually mm -hmm. take the two halves and they interlock the, um, the ribs that you've cut off together and it creates a crevice in the middle. So they do this like real nice stuffing that can go in and all of that just kind of binds and packages together that it really does add an element of, of fancy. And yeah. when you can, yeah, that's Instagram worthy for sure on a lot <laughs> of this stuff where you really, you, you make something up, you're like, Ooh, Ooh, I want to, I want to put this in. Nothing's better than being able to even leave on a shank. If I do a whole shank into like an asobuco or something, and I've got the one end that's there, like for sure, I'm going to leave that bone in there just to be able to like, you know, two notes, be able to say, yeah, this is a real animal that that's, that's the bone and you can get the marrow out of the inside of it. But at the same time, like nothing says fancy than leaving, leaving the bone on there. Well, plus you get to take the, uh, the Instagram photo as the, uh, the bone is the, the meat's falling off the bone as you're pulling it out of the Dutch oven or whatever you're cooking it in. Like, look how fancy I am. I cooked a bone in, <laughs> I braised yes. this, which I've done. <laughs> I have a bunch of those posts out there. The hardest part too, is being with the family as I'm, you know, yeah, I've got the camera or I've got my phone set up just right. And I'm doing that slow pull and I, you know, I glance over and here are three eyes of my kids going, dad, hurry the heck 
up. I am starving over here. And it's, it's all about timing when it comes to those pieces. I would say, though, that being here in the U.S., the one thing we do got to watch out for is like a double chop is super cool where they'll actually keep the two back straps uh, together. And you'll have that T-bone or Y-bone of the vertebrae and where the ribs are coming off. The one thing that we've got here in the U.S. now that's become an issue is CWD. And anytime that you're breaking into the skull or the spinal column, it just really opens up possibilities for things to go wrong. I know there's people on both sides of the fence when it comes to this. Um, There's folks that are saying that CWD hasn't made the jump and it's not going to affect people. There's no documentation and, and they are correct. But at the same time, we've also seen uh, diseases and conditions make a jump. And mm-hmm. to, to rule that out completely, I find myself a little bit in that hesitancy that it's saying that if, if I can avoid that now, if we can get a good process now where we can protect ourselves from CWD, that seems like a very useful thing that we can do. Now, managers, land managers, that's going to be a whole realm that you know maybe I don't have the expertise on. We're going to have to figure out how to handle this this uh, thing on the landscape. But if I can then protect myself either with a with a test or being able, able to have a process where I can now butcher this animal without breaking that spinal column. And then at the same time, having the ability to clean my equipment, deactivate the prion so that I can continue to use my steel table and my knives or whatever uh, home butchering stuff that I'm using that's going to be super helpful. So as far as it comes to like long bones being the, you know, either off the hip or off the hind quarter or the shoulder, those are easy keepers. Um, but yeah, I would say be very careful when it comes to the spinal column. You know, if you live in a state that doesn't have CWD, well, you, there's a lot of blessing on you at that point. Yeah, you don't so want lucky. it. Yeah. You don't want yeah. it. It's uh, it, it's growing here in the areas that I hunt normally. Um, this this past season, all of a sudden, there's a big orange sign out front, and there's a big dumpster out front that says a CWD uh, monitoring zone. Um, I guess they're trying. What they're doing here in Minnesota here is they're trying to kind of head off. Um, I, I don't think there's any stopping it. Um, I, I just don't think there is. I think it's no no. I, there's no way. There's no just like not, not to get political. Like coronavirus, it's out there. You're going to get it, not get it, avoid it. It's just, it's there. Um, I think, you know, what they're trying to do is they're, they're in the areas that where I'm at right now, they're like, okay, well, if you harvest something from here, then you have to take, you know, send in a sample. I think uh, some of, some places are mandatory, some are not. And you have the option of discarding that carcass. And that's where the, the big giant dumpster is. You know, you walk by it and the thing stinks to high heaven. And it's like, Jesus. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I kind of side with you on the whole thing. I, I don't, I don't think there's enough science on it just yet where, you know, you've got some people saying, well, it's been around forever and, you know, no one's really gotten it. But then, you know, you, you hear all this other, uh, stuff like, well, mental diseases and things like that, um, may have been misdiagnosed in the past. Uh, and, and we may have gotten it, you know what I mean? Cause it's so similar to 
what is that like Jakob Scrutchfeld or whatever and, and, and things like that. And, exactly. you know, I, I don't know. So my my take is, you know, if I harvest something from there, I'm going to send in a sample. And uh, if it comes back positive, I'm not going to eat it. I'm certainly not going to serve it to my, you know, to my kid. You know, my wife's not a big venison fan. She likes other uh, other uh, wild game, but she's not a big venison fan. So it's just me and my daughter that will eat it. But I'm I'm going to err on the side of, you know, the science just isn't there yet. We just have nowhere near the amount of data that we need, you know, so. Exactly. And I know it stems off the, the Meat Eater podcast. Stephen made a quote um, that was, you know what, if, if you're going to tell me CWD isn't an issue, mm-hmm. and at some point he would create this burger patty out of spinal tissue yep. and be like, as soon as you eat that, then we can have a, a serious conversation just to yeah. know if this guy is serious. And then actually Mark Kenyon, another Michigan guy, took it a step further and he said, rather than have that guy eat it, say like, if you're serious that you say CWD isn't going to affect you or anybody that eats it, have like a loved one of his, like one of his mm-hmm. kids eat it. Cause now yeah. it's like, you know what, now it's not affecting you. It's affecting what you really have passion for. So exactly. I, I look at that whole idea and it's like, yeah, I just don't, I don't want to mess with it. There is some exciting news. Now here, here's an exclusive. Oh, this yeah. Is, this is off the wire. I just heard about it yesterday. So if it ends up being false and it's all fake news, you know what? You know, put it back on me. You can email <laughs> hate mail over to huntivore at gmail.com. But um, out of the University of Minnesota, there is work being done on a field test for CWD. That this could be something that could be in a pack or could be at the check station and like the rapid test we're getting now with um, coronavirus, maybe there's going to be a quote unquote rapid field test that we're able to then administer on our downed animal. And mm-hmm. I think that would be a huge game changer because That's you would get yeah. results right away. You would have a litmus test or you would have whatever data that could be sent in with sample you know, put a tag on the deer or something and then throw that in the dumpster. We have document documentation of it. It's instantaneous or at least getting quicker. I have not looked into full, fully this. I'm just hope this is what I'm hoping to read about this test. But that would be something I think would be super awesome for venison hunters. And I think uh, that, that that would be great news because also um, you kind of alluded to a little bit. I don't want to get too, too, too far down the CWD rabbit hole, but you kind of alluded to it is when you bring home an animal like you're not. I mean, you may be able to leave it hanging. You may be able to kind of leave it whole until you find, you know, get test results or something. Right. And then you begin butchering it. But most people don't have, you know, like a walk in cooler or may not be, you know, maybe you just can't hang a deer in your garage, you know. So you do have to butcher the thing and then wait for the results before you eat it. Well, if you do that, then, you know, your knife. Um, is come in contact with it, your cutting board, your surfaces, any, any of that stuff. And those prions have been known to live on there. What, what bleach kills it off of stainless steel or something, right? But that's pretty much it. So if, if this were the case, then, um, then you could avoid all of that and do like a real time, like you said, uh, go, no go, whether I'm going to take this animal out of the woods into my home, uh, or, or dispose of it. So that'd be, that'd be, that is pretty exciting. Yeah. Like you said, just the time and effort and, worry taking off the meat hunter at that point um yeah that's what we're out there for and be able to just save that and 
you know what? All right. Well, that one's gone. I don't have to have put a bunch of emotional effort into that now. So we can, we can move on from there. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Okay. So let's move on to, uh, we kind of wanted to talk about, like, there's so much I could, we could, you and I can sit and talk <laughs> about, right? I mean, for hours and I, and I want to hit, I want to hit a certain few uh, high points, but, um, Darn so, it, it's so the middle of day, I feel like I should have a beer. We could go on. Uh, I know. Hours, I know you I said am. that bourbon thing. I'm not much of a bourbon or scotch drinker, but a drink sounds good right now. Cause I'm off, you know? So, um, okay. So let's move into um, let's move into the kitchen. I don't want to get into, you know, like what we need for butchering in the field and stuff. Everyone, um, not, maybe not everyone knows, but there's plenty of stuff out there for how do you butcher it? What do you need to butcher it and, and bring it uh, or field dress it rather or quarter it up and then bring it home. So now we're going to move into the house. We've got these, uh, these, uh, whole, whole muscle. Actually, we're not even at the whole muscle yet. We're just basically at, at, at quarters. You know what I mean? Um, and we need to break these things down. We need to break down our, you know, the, the whole front leg into whatever sections we're going to cut it into. We're going to break down, you know, everything else. What, um, if, if you were to kind of break, break it down into, I'm not going to give you a number. I don't want to say three, five implements, knives, whatever, but what do you think is the absolute musts a home butcher, quote unquote, is going to need to properly break down, um, a, a deer. Let's, let's go with something as big as a deer, obviously. Yeah. And you know, that, that is it going to be any specialized tools? Is it going to be something that, uh, they're going to find in their inner kitchen normally? I'll, I'll let you run with that. Gotcha. Um, coming off of the commercial side, um, we want things that are going to be that, that <laughs> I can put in a meat cutter's hand that he's going to be self-sufficient, that that thing is going to be either just, I mean, pretty much he can use that all day. And it seems like the perfect item that at least I've used is a six inch semi-flex boning knife. I have done so many cuts, both either in the kitchen or on the deer itself, just with that knife. It's, I want, I don't want to say indestructible because you put that in a joint and you can easily snap the tip off of it. But at the same time, they're built with this high carbon, softer steel that you can bring an edge back very quickly, very efficiently. It's not a high dollar item by any means. You get something that's, uh, you know, more so for like a, like a very high end, uh, chef's knife. That's going to be something that's going to have um, a little bit more pure steel. It's going to be very, very hard where these are much softer. Um, and the idea is, is as I scrape it on the side of a, a bone or a, on a piece of the carcass and I'm trying to break that joint, I'm going to dull the blade. That's where blades get ultimately get dulled, not going through meat, but, you know, skipping off a bone. Mm-hmm. So having that softer steel and being able to then have a... Um, we, we refer to it as a steel, but as a honing rod, you right. can then be able to, to go down the side of that and bring that edge back. So now you're ready to go right back in where you left off, but have a, you know, a, a pretty nice edge now at this point. Um, you can save yourself the whole sharpening process by going with one of these cheaper knives. Um, I use specifically either a Dexter or a Victorinox uh, semi-flex boning knife. They are cheap on Amazon, and now I'm seeing kits, too, where Outdoor Edge has really stepped up their game as well. They have a whole butcher kit, so that would be maybe like a one-stop shop. If, if a guy is looking to pick one up or, you know, wife wants a gift for uh, the hubby, 
that he wants to get into butchering. They've got some really nice stuff coming out. Um, but I've just had those, those two knives specifically, and they are a workhorse when it comes to being able to get between joints, being able to run run that edge right along the bone. If I'm going to be boning out and taking it out, or even to the point where, you know, I want to be able to take off the shank at that point, I can put that tip in and really reef and twist that handle to make that thing pop. Um, so that knife and then a good steel or honing blade or, um, honing rod are going to be your two best guys when it comes to breaking that down being able to be able to strike or you just run that along the edge there being that softer metal bounces back after a few swipes it you don't have to do the fancy you know where you're going fast sometimes it's just a long slow rip down the entire blade that you can then bring that sucker back to life um can you um can we halt real quick right there can you um go into a little bit very briefly on what the steel is that that hone is because most because well i know i've done videos on it what the difference between um sharpening versus like realigning an edge but go go into it in your words what that what that steel actually does and what it's for because i think a lot of people are confused they call it a sharpener and it never comes out of their butcher block and their stuff is 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 dull as sin yes so the honing blade is to, to hone or to bring back what you've already created when you last sharpened. So when you get a, when you get a knife out of a package or out of a store that is fresh sharp, if you take your hands and put them uh, close together and you can visualize what the side profile is of that knife, that you have this taper from thick to thin all the way to the point where that metal is You're making is a teepee so with your fingers. Correct. Right, yeah. Now, you then take that teepee, that point, and you stick it into a bone, or you're running it along, and even though that metal at the thicker base of it is not going to bend, you're not bending your knife or your blade uh, far enough to have it stay that way, but that tip, that point of the teepee, is going to begin to round. So then if you take your fingers in my application that I'm doing in front of myself right now, my right hand starts to come over the top. The fingertips are pushing, 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 and it creates a curl. So now as I'm trying to cut, I'm not cutting with the actual edge. I'm cutting with the curl of that. And that's where people start to hack and saw and just Mm -hmm. not be able to get that back. It's like the crest of a wave, right? If you would like a, like a figure, uh, you know, like a surfer, let's say, right? Like a big wave and you see the top of that wave start to curl over. Okay. That should be straight up and down. When it starts to curl over, that's what we're talking about. The edge kind of just bending over a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a natural thing that happens with knives, no matter if it's a grandpa's pocket knife or anything in the kitchen or even in the butcher shop, that's just a natural thing that happens. So now with that home, is it is a harder steel. It is going to it is going to resist whatever action is put onto uh, <clears throat> onto it. So now I take this softer steel and I'm going to run it down. It's going to resist that, and I'm literally as I run it along, trying to stay as close to the cut uh, or the sharpened edge, the sharpened profile, sticking with that as much as I can by hand. I mean, we're, we're all not perfect. You're going to be off by a little bit, but even giving it this treatment is going to take that curl 
and it's going to start to straighten it back out. It's going to bring it that profile back to straight. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you're able to then begin cutting with efficiency. You're going to, I mean, the first stroke that you go through a piece of meat after giving it a good hone is like, oh my goodness, like I should have done this ages ago. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and if you try not to be like a, you know, to, to, you know, mimic, let's say like a Gordon Ramsay, right. Or any of these chefs, like, you know, like, you know, like really fast, like you're talking about, if you actually take that, that, that hone and, you know, one hand and then you, and you run your, um, you know, your knife will do it away from you, even though I sometimes do away and sometimes toward me, but do it away from you. And you can actually feel that edge start to, you, you feel like some resistance. You can actually feel like the, uh, not scraping, but you can actually feel that edge start to have some resistance and curl back straight. And then you come back, back and forth and you can feel that, that, that little curled, um, that the, the tip, the very, very tip kind of go back and forth, back and forth until you've aligned it, you know? So if so then you get to, you get, you get a, like a tactile, um, uh, response going, Oh, now I can kind of feel what's going on. It kind of makes sense in your head, you know, when you do it. Yes. Yes. The more you do it, the more, the better you get at it. And I get to a point too, where it's like, as much as I, yeah, I don't have a scabbard with me or or something on my hip. I just usually end up laying it on the table. Mm -hmm. Um, I won't go two primals or two hole cuts between, uh, hitting that hone or hitting that steel. If I get done with a bone, I might go over to the steel and do like, two swipes on one side, two swipes on the other, and then go back to then cleaning that piece of meat. And then yep. when I finish that piece of meat, even though I haven't touched bone, I may just grab it and I might just do two swipes. I'm not trying to enhance that edge anymore. I'm just trying to maintain. Right. And the more that you use, I mean, there is a point you could probably overuse your hone, whether, you know, you make two, you make two cuts and then have to use it. Like, okay, maybe you're a little overzealous, but finish a piece of meat, and then put on a hone. You don't have to wait till it's dull. You don't have to wait until your curl is very severe to where now you have to go six swipes on the right, six swipes on the left, five, five, four, four, you know, where you have to really mm-hmm. work that back. You can just maintain that edge. You'll feel it in your hands. You'll feel it in your elbow. Um, you'll also feel it in your back. Well, first, lift up your table. That's what, that was probably my <laughs> best tip for home butchers is make sure you cut at counter level. Um, but at the same time, you're going to feel the fatigue in your hands if you don't hone your knife. And if you hone it, you're going to feel that your hand, you're, you're not as whooped after breaking an animal. Yeah. I mean, just you're letting the knife do the work rather than, uh, you know, try, trying to force it. So, okay. So we've got our, uh, we've got a, a, a six inch, uh, semi, semi flexi boning knife. Now I, I don't have one of those. I keep wanting to buy one, but I, I do a lot of mine with, um, either it's, it's a stiffer fillet knife, but it all depends on the kind of like kind of flex feel that you like. And I do it with a six inch, uh, like uh, a fish fillet knife, like, like a boning, um, uh, not a boning knife, uh, like a, the Rapala, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which I is was a just going to say the Rapala, yeah. that is probably without a doubt the most used knife yeah. everywhere. It's got to be. And the thing's been it, around. And it works. Yeah. It's just a little too flexy for me. And I keep wanting to buy like a, the, the semi flex one. But if you have uh, a Rapala sitting at home, perfect. Sharpen that sucker up and that will get you everything. That'll get you feel. Um, you can get into kind of tight 
you know tight because it comes because it's because it comes to such a tight point right um you can do some fine intricate work with it and uh yeah i think that you don't have to go out of your way to you know stock your uh your, your kitchen with with extra stuff you may already have it sitting at home exactly exactly as uh alton brown one of the radio or excuse me one of the tv celebrities uh, yep. When it comes to the food world, he is all about multitaskers mm-hmm. and he's anti uh, unitasker. So yep. if you've got something in your kitchen, it's probably going to work. We don't need to break the bank just because we want to start butchering. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I think he's he's more than once said, you know, he refuses to buy anything that doesn't have more than one use in the kitchen. <laughs> you know. Um, next piece yeah, of equipment. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yep. Um, I try to avoid as much saw work as possible, but when breaking an animal, having a good handsaw, hacksaw is going to be probably one of your best friends when it comes to, um, taking a shank and being able to cut that long bone on the bias. Um, I have, it's actually a woodworking hacksaw and I think I use a steel uh, tooth blade as far as it's made for cutting steel it's real small toothed mm-hmm. um but i bought that specific and so that is only a meat saw that does not go to the woodworking station that does not cut any uh any pipes for me that is the it's dedicated purpose um i know uh i've all i've got guys that also love to use a sawzaw or a saber saw and that is also a good route when you're trying to cut through bone, either on the bias or if you're trying to take the head off the neck and, and cut out some of these uh, these larger hunks. Um, but what I end up doing is just getting a brand new blade and cleaning up that saber saw, having a brand new blade, and that is a meat specific blade. I'll actually bring that blade and put that into the kitchen. So it's like I don't have to then wonder, hmm, was this working on a piece of wood? Was I was mm-hmm. I having molding decking and it was like cutting rusty nails with this? Or is this actually a meat blade? So I make sure to have when it comes to a saw, just keeping blade specific, knowing exactly what that blade has done and then keeping it separate. I'm I'm trying to find the right teeth per inch count that works for me because I find that um the hacksaw that I have, and that's exactly what I do too for shanks and for a shoulder, you know, um, so, you know, at least, at least to cut them in half, because even if you're going to cook the whole thing, a lot of them are long enough. They don't fit in a crock pot or a Dutch oven. So, um, I, I 100% with you on the hacksaw. I find that if it's too fine, a tooth count that it, it, it gums up. It doesn't come, it doesn't cut as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's too coarse, then it just kind of just snags it and bounces just, you know, all over the to, place yeah, bounces yeah. and tries to yank the thing out of your hand. And it's like, and it's tough to hold on to that, to that meat on the cutting board too. trying to, trying to, I mean, trying to saw through bone. Okay. I mean, that's my least favorite part of, of home butcher. I love butchering at home. That's my least favorite part of it because <laughs> I haven't found, you know, I would love to have like a, like a food grade, uh, a bandsaw, you know, like, you know, yes, <laughs> but that's not going to happen. So I, I was just curious I if, if I you saw have one a... online for like 2,500. So yeah, Oof. I think that's entry level. Something Eesh. super basic that you're going to have to put some work into is yeah. one of these big old bandsaws. Yeah, it's just not for the home guy. It's just not going to be an option. Yeah, I, you um, got me thinking though that this might yeah. be an experiment we go with with tooth per inch. Like, what is 
I think we're into, I want to say the multi-purpose might be, I mean, just as it says, multi-purpose might be the best, but I don't know, finding some of the more teeth, smaller teeth into the metal cutting seems to really, at least that's what I've found works out good. Do you need more strokes? Yes, but I get a dang good, nice edge. I also don't cut the meat with it. I am, I take extra care to score the meat, expose the bone, because just like you said, yeah, it will gum up that blade so quick. Even the marrow on the inside, some of the big thigh uh, bones, if you're trying to go through one of those, it will gum that up really good. And it shreds the meat too. It just makes it look terrible. It, it shreds, it shreds the, uh, uh, you know, meat as you're going through it. And it just, you know, the, 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 you know, it just looks like pulverized, you know, mush. And it's just, this is not a very good, very good look, you know? Right. So I'll actually create my circumference. I'll actually cut all the way around exposing just the bone. So I know that is what I need to use. And then it's one of those where it's just like, all right, it's, it's going to be work. You just got to (laughs) get a good rhythm and here we go. Yep. Yep. That, exactly. Exactly. All right. So, um, you're so far, you're three for three of exactly what, what I'm, what I'm thinking. Anything, anything <laughs> else that's, that's pop, popping off to you that you absolutely uh, need as far as butchering goes? Um, you could go into one of these longer edge knives. If you have a slicer and mm-hmm. I'm talking a, a knife specific slicer, um, usually a long, uh, knife. Some of them are even rounded at the end. Um, some are also referred to as a butcher's knife. They have where it's a bull nose, where actually the blade comes up uh, towards the back or the spine of the knife there. And having that longer knife does help when cutting steaks. Right. So if I bring over a top round and I'm going to cut my steak and I want them to be inch thick, having less back and forth is going to be uh, important to have that really nice uh, edge that you're looking for. When you want that absolute straight level cut, having to be able to draw that knife once through that cut and not have to reset and then cut again right, is going right. to be critical to just presentation. Is it going to change the flavor? No. Is it going to change how things are going to cook up? Absolutely not. It's merely a presentation thing. But at the same time, being able to draw once through there to cut all the way through the meat, it just, and being able to fold it away, it really, it's like opening a present on Christmas morning because now you get to see all that muscle tissue in there, how it's going to look as you throw it on the grill. It's, it's well worth buying a $10 or even $20, uh, long edge slicing knife. I mean, just, just uh, you know, I just use a, uh, a regular, I think, is it, is it six or eight inch, like chef knife? You know, it's just a regular chef's knife. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have a bull nose or anything like that, but you're right. You do like the one slice comes down and plus you're not, um, you're not kind of zigzagging back and forth as you're going from top to bottom, you know, as you would with a thinner knife. If you think of um, like the, the, the Rapallo we were talking about or a boning knife, it's just, it's not a very wide um, I'm not talking thickness of the metal, but I mean like wide top to bottom. Um, so you have more chance to kind of go off course as you start from the top slicing down. But if you just have, you know, one wide knife, you know, and just one, one slice down and, uh, you don't have any, any jagged edges and you get a straighter, uh, straighter cut. So especially if you're going to do, uh, things like, like if, if you hand slice for jerky kind of thing. Um, exactly. I find I find that works. Uh, I find that works well for that too. So, 
Um, anything else? I mean, I think for, for me, that's kind of where it ends as far as like the butchering stuff goes, you know? It's, it's such a primal thing that we've been ingrained. And at some point, maybe it's just a guy thing. I think sometimes we try to overcomplicate things to make ourselves sound more important. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally put four knives, uh, the boning knives into this. Actually, it's a, it's a circular saw duffel bag that I've cleaned up and I'll literally throw the knives in there. I throw my steel in, I get my hacksaw. Um, oh, I have a skinner. Um, it's got a little gut hook on the other side of it. I use, I like that skinner blade and I think it's from wild edge. Um, but anything with a curved front onto it, like a, with a bull nose, like I was mentioning mm-hmm. earlier. Um, and that's a shorter one. That's only like a, like a four inch or maybe even a three inch. Um, but just being able that, that just works on getting the hide off the animal if it's hanging. I'll throw that in a duffel bag and I'll just look like a doctor going to an in-house, uh, clinic at that point as I'm going to my buddy's garage or we're going into their kitchen or whatever. And I just bring a duffel bag and that's, that's all my equipment <laughs> or right a serial there. killer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. A little bit Dexter on it. A little bit Dexter. <laughs> well, I would say more of a, a Hannibal cause I am going to eat what I end up cutting. Ah, the you're right. Yeah, we'll take that true. even one step further. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> okay. So, um, we're, uh, we, we, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of touch, touch bleh. there's not a lot to discuss, I guess, with, with the tools. I mean, it's pretty simple. People kind of, I think are scared off of, of, of butchering at home. Um, and they pay, I I've never paid money to have anything butchered at a, uh, at, at a processor. You know what I mean? Um, I'm, I've always been one to just kind of try it myself. And like you said, the first few times, a lot of burger, a lot of little giblets. I mean, a hundred percent know exactly what that pile, that image in my head of that pile of meats that I know exactly what that looks like. Um, but then once you get into it, you know, you, you said earlier that these, these animals are kind of made to come apart. And, uh, we've, I'm sure if you haven't by now, guys go out and watch any kind of, you know, butchering video and you're going to see how like all the, the, the muscle, the main muscle structures inside of like, let's say a thigh or a leg or whatever. If you, the, 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 they're separated by, you know, um, uh, not even ligament, like some silver skin, some connective tissue and whole chunks will just almost come apart by hand. I mean, you, you, I, I guess the other set, the other tool would be like your hands. Cause I mean, you, you get them in there and you can separate stuff and you're just really using like the tip of the knife to kind of just kind of separate some of that connective tissue. And it just comes apart, you know, naturally. You betcha. Um, let's take the hind quarter, for example. In fact, yeah, yeah I mean, there's a million videos that are out there. Um, I found one that is just super amazing. If you head over to Sportsman's Nation uh, YouTube, there's this guy, Huntivore. He's done an awesome job at this presentation. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little lengthy, but man, does he go into super detail. But at that same time, we take that that haunch, and you can see where the, the knee joint is. And that's usually the first place that I go. So I break that joint. And literally, your, your six-inch... Um, Boning knife will stick right into that and you'll hear it pop. Mm-hmm. So it, I find it satisfying when a joint breaks. I know other people like they get this like shiver down their spine. They just can't. I got a buddy who, man, he has to walk away. He's like, oh, I just can't. Does not like that. It's like cracking knuckles. But anyway, man, pop that. And now you're left with this bundle that just as you said, once you find where that seam is, work your fingers in along the inside where you've made that cut into that seam. And it's literally just 
opening that like a zipper. You're just opening these up and you see where now this large primal becomes four or five subprimals, and they're just laid out for you. You don't have to do hardly any work to identify. They almost identify themselves. It almost unrolls like a sleeping bag from from yeah. one end of the bone to the other. If you get down to the bone, you know, and you start kind of peeling away and just just gently, you know, cutting away the connective stuff, um, the, the pressure of you kind of pulling it apart will will tell you where you need to just kind of just almost nick it a little bit. And then pretty soon you opened up this this book of oh, sounds gross, but this book of meat, you know what I mean, with the, with the bone laying in there. It's it, it just tells you what to do. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, yeah, I think people are intimidated by it, but I think at the same time too, they don't give themselves enough credit and enough time to just be like, you know what, I'll just slowly go through this and be willing to, to mess it up. I do understand that there are, there are situations where folks are like, listen, this is my, I only get one deer a year, or I only am able to not get as much wild game and so you talk about experimenting and playing with and i feel like i would be wasting the meat by doing something outlandish or something outside of the ordinary and then not like it i i totally get that understate understanding where there's a lot of emotional tie or sentimental tie to whatever that is um i I'm a Lions fan too. So I, the phrase there's always next year is something that's real <laughs> near and dear to my heart. So if I do end up messing something up, it's not the end of the world. You haven't destroyed and lost that, that meat. You may not be able to use it for the purpose that you were going to try to use it for, but the grinder is your best friend. That'll turn any miscut into an amazing burger, meatloaf, uh, meatballs, whatever you want to go with that. So, to say, like, I've ruined it now because of a miscut or I didn't give myself the time to go through these nicks and I rush job and I don't like the way this looks or I don't think it's going to be good once it hits the pan or the marinade or the grill, then, yeah, your friend there, the grinder, can alter that right away for you. And to get another deer leg next year, yeah, there, there's always next year that you can do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what, if, if, um, you're starting off in the home processing, you know, world, right. You, let's just say you're a guy or girl that's always taken their stuff to the processor and you're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to try this myself. There is no shame in going and buying. Like I have, I have like the, the 60 or $80 Cabela's uh, grinder. Okay. Um, if I shoot, you know, six, eight, 10 deer a year, then, okay, I'm probably going to need to upgrade to something, but I'm lucky if I shoot a deer a year. And it's more than enough, okay? And if that's what you need to do, and there's no shame in, you know, butchering it to the best of your ability, and then making your own burger, that's okay. That's a start. And next next time you can step it up a little bit and learn a little more and, uh, you know, make better cuts, make this, make that. But, I mean, there's no shame in, in just, you know, for, for some reason, I, it's almost like um, – in the past couple of years, right? So we had this huge like flourish of uh, of interest in the well, the huntivore movement, right? Locavore, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, call it the Ranella factor and that kind of thing. And we have this, um, we, we almost went kind of overboard, if you want to think about it, how fancy we can get with this stuff. But it, there's there's still there, no no shame in just being like, you know what? I'm gonna have a whole bunch of burger and make you know spaghetti, you know, so. Uh, 
uh, spaghetti meat for it, or I'm going to make burger with it, or I'm going to grind it to do, you know, tacos or, or what have you, you know, the whole point is like, you're learning, you know what I mean? So there's no shame in doing simple. Exactly. Exactly. As a, as a dad sitting here of three boys, I got a six, a four, and he's as of a couple weeks ago, he's three. Now I tell you, it's, if you get too fancy, you'll lose them. You have a kid fail. Nobody touches anything. They walk away. They want Pop-Tarts. They want hot dog later. And you just feel utterly defeated. Yeah. But man, just making burgers or they like, I got two of them that like the meat sauce. And I have one kid that likes regular spaghetti sauce, but then the meatballs. So then it's like, you know, I, I do try to like give them their, their special adage when we, when we go that route. But at the same time, like eat what your family eats, like adapt that deer, adapt that that game to what you're eating. Mm-hmm. And if you want to explore and and get fancy, that that's one thing that my wife and I like to do. But I'm not, I don't expect my kids to do that. You know, I make uh, tara masala and that's a, an Indian dish. Like, of course, I'm not going to throw that in front of my three year old. He's going to be like, forget that. Mm-hmm. I don't even. I don't like flavored yogurt, let alone this other yogurt you've married <laughs> this in. So I'm not going to do that for them. But if my family uses, you know, a ton of burger, well, heck, let's just make the best doggone burger that's out there. And I can't think of anything better than than venison burger. Um, I actually lace mine with uh, pork back fat. Uh, mm-hmm. Pork has a neutral flavor to it. So you still taste the venison, but you get that added bit of moisture and a bat add a bit of uh fat that's in there for for searing on the grill and stuff so i i make mine an 80 20 and that's just literally you know measuring it out and giving it in ballpark and and adding that in but i know there's a lot of folks that'll go straight venison and it's like that's that's the way our family eats and more power to you if you can be able to do that you know um I'm a big fan of it's it's kind of depending where you live, but it's kind of hard to get sometimes where if you just if you go to the butcher and like, hey, can I have some pork fat or can I have some cow fat? Right. Um, a lot of places are like reluctant to do that now or at least or they're charging for it. Like, you know, I'm like, you know, or, or like, oh, well, we don't do that. We don't we won't give that away. So a while back, I decided, OK, it's like, OK, well, if I, I want to add some some flavor to this and I'm going to add some pork to this or some uh, fat to this anyway. So if I'm making burger. Or a lot of times if I'm making um, uh, sausage, summer sausage or something like that, I'll actually go and buy um, the absolute cheapest, cheapest, fattiest bacon, okay, that I can, so, so, you know, when you're, when you're looking at quote unquote good bacon, you're supposed to look at the back and, you know, see the meat to fat ratio kind of thing. So you're not buying all fat. Well, I'm buying the really, really cheap stuff. So to me, that brings in the pork. It brings in that, that bacon, you know, some extra flavor and it's, it's bringing in the fat and I've kind of settled on that, you know? So yes, you're not getting the, 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 the fat for free, but you're, you're still increasing your yield of, you know, of, of meat and, uh, you're getting, you're, you're getting that extra flavor. So I, I, I kind of like that a lot. Yeah. Oh man. Putting, putting just, yeah, like you said, fatty bacon, even into a burger, like you can really tell that smokiness that comes out. You can taste mm-hmm. a little bit of that, the yep. porkiness in that, but it doesn't cover up the fact that you're having venison. You can still taste you can still taste that it's not corn and soybean fed. I'm, I'm doing my darndest to never say the word gamey because that's why we're all here. We like stuff that doesn't eat corn and soybean, that we want something that has 
taste to it has something that has something interesting and to to throw the word gamey man i I, i'm working my best to not say that but that's that the sought after funk that we want in a burger like that man with a spicy mustard and a piece of cheddar Mm -hmm. can't get any better than that yeah you know i I try not to use uh, gamey as well because gamey i think is um kind of becomes synonymous with uh well, to me, gamey would be <clears throat> an off call, uh, not an off call, an off flavor and an off color of the meat, you know, so that it act, it is actually like bad, right? If there's something you didn't take care of it, or it went bad, or got rancid, or whatever, um, I think what people say in the back of a truck went to yeah, three, went yeah, to I think bars to people, show everybody <laughs> exactly. I, I think when people say gamey, though, it's it's people that that don't eat wild game. And I think they use it for the term that it doesn't taste like corn-fed cow. You know, um, it just tastes different. And I, I, especially in today's society, most people aren't used to, like, tasting what animals in general, much less animals other than cows, are, 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 are that they actually taste different. So any, like, different flavor, they're like, oh, it's gamey. Well, to me, gamey means it's bad. You know, but wild game is is just different flavors of, of whatever animal happens to be, uh, that, that you're consuming. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So, um, okay, let's get into, um, Hey, we're an hour into this. I'm telling you, um, <laughs> it so, just flies by. I know. So let, 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 let's get into a couple, um, uh, kind of easy, not even recipes. Okay. Cause uh, recipes can be, you know, we can dive down a rabbit hole for a long time on each recipe, but, uh, just some preparations, I guess, for, uh, let's do this for again, like the new or newish kind of home cook. They're like, okay, I've, I've, I've managed to not completely, well, quote unquote butcher, um, meaning like mangle, uh, the meat <laughs> sitting in front of me. Exactly. Yeah. So you, so you, so you've actually done a good butchering job. And, uh, I, I want to try something, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a great, let's say home cook. I'm not, you know, culinarily, uh, 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 skilled. So, but I want to try something different other than just like grinding, right? We can always grind it, grind it into burger. We, you know, go watch videos on how to do that properly. That's fine. Um, would you, would you say, I, I, you're probably going to get in this, but I mean, would, would you say like, like shanks and shoulders and things are, are, kind of a good starter um because they seem fancy quote unquote fancy but they're really kind of easy to make if you have like a crock pot or dutch oven i mean are you you on board with that oh you betcha in fact my favorite cut is the shank i have i've made that declaration that it's man the what you get off of something that used to just go to the grind pile Mm -hmm. that if you save that sucker and you give it the right um amount of heat and the right amount of time being that it's low and slow and in with the braise a lot of liquid this thing just leaches out all of that connective tissue all that gelatin just renders out and you are left with some of the most velvety interesting uh soft tasty shredded meat that you could ever find meat butter (laughs) yes it it can go in so many directions even after that you know you let's say you've got something you've set it aside for just being an asobuco dish where you want to serve it on a bed of 
either grits, polenta, mashed. I usually go with the mashed potatoes, but you serve it on top of that. And it's just, man, this warm comfort food that, Mm -hmm. you know, you have supper and then you're ready for a dark beer and a night in that's, that's going to finish that up, sit next to a fire and you're just going to be, you know, happy as happy as ever. But you can take that same meat that you had, whatever leftovers, you know, add a little bit of heat to it. And man, you've got taco meat at that point, Mm -hmm. a shredded barbacoa taco. Oh oh boy. That's, (laughs) that's one of those things like you could go on a huge rabbit hole. And even it comes to tacos on, on how to serve that up, but using that same velvety smooth, just real soft meat at that point, it, it just works in great in a tortilla, either hard or shop cell making, I made freezer burritos, um, and I, I was amazed at how quickly I went through them, mainly because I was having one or two a day, every day. <laughs> but <laughs> being able to make that up and almost do a meal prep with shoulders and shanks, to if that's the process that I'm going to give it, then why don't I just do a big batch of it and stick them in my freezer? So now I can have an amazing meal whenever I'm looking for one. Or, darn it, it's Wednesday. Kids got practice. They got to throw something in their gullet they got to you know have some sort of good food in them throw those in the microwave and on the way to practice you're able to have they're able to have a a quick burrito there that really has some thought put into that cooking style so so are you actually just um freezing or portioning off and and freezing just the meat or are you actually making the burritos and freezing the whole thing ready to go i actually went to the the uh the extent of making the whole burrito and wrapping the whole thing in a piece of parchment paper and then stick, stacking those inside of a gallon Ziploc bag, uh, sealing it, trying to like suck all the air out of it with a straw in the corner, get as much out as I, I mean, I'm just trying to prevent freezer burn at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I stick those in the freezer and then I can go in and just have the pre-made ready to go, uh, burrito. And the ones I made, they're, they're really a snack snack size you could get bigger tortilla shells and really make like the big wet burrito styles and have those ready to go but taking something that can go from elegant dinner to then using the leftovers in making burritos for lunches i think it just shows the versatility that you can do with that front shoulder it doesn't need to go right to grind every time if you use 50 60 pounds of ground in here have at it grind that sucker but the flavor extraction you get off this is just incredible. Yeah, I, um, I, I think the I, I like it equally. I like I like by by far. I, I'm I'm with you on that one. Shoulder and shank are my favorite cuts of meat on on a deer. Period. Right, because everything that makes it so stringy and chewy and uh, you know hard to eat when it's like if when people try to cook it like hard, you know fast and you know fast and hot. Everything that goes into that is the exact same thing that makes it the most, like like you said, that velvety texture that, and, and, and just the richness of flavor that you get when you braise something. You know, I'm a big fan of braising that stuff. And braising, for you know anybody doesn't know, it's a fancy word for you cook it in a little bit of water. It's not completely submerged, um, but you're cooking it like really, really low, a uh, long time, three, four hours, whatever, however long it takes. And you're just basically, you're not even boiling it. It's it's kind of a very, very just like a light simmer almost. Um, and you can, you know, if you have a Dutch oven, which are like super, super like efficient with heat because they're so thick or like cast iron something, um, you know, just, just put those in there with a little bit of, uh, you know, 
little bit of liquid and whatever aromatics you want. You can put veggies in later, you know, the last half hour, 45 minutes of cooking. And you've got this like just awesome like stew you can make um, to serve it like that. Or like you said, you can, you can pull it off and make, uh, you know, you know, tacos or anything else with, with the, with, with the leftovers and stuff. And, and the flavor is just insane. I think everyone gets caught up in, um, you know, backstrap, right. But I think most people that have, I don't know, I, I don't want to sound snobby about it, but I mean, if you have like a taste bud or two and you, you compare the two backstrap is, 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 is plain. It doesn't have a lot of flavor because it doesn't have a lot of any of that, that goodness, like running through the meat. And it just, it tastes like whatever you season it with, you know? It is. It's a much milder flavor. Yeah. Um, you look at it, anything away from the horn and the hoof, or this, at this point, the antler and the hoof, um, is going to, the less work that it's doing, the less flavor that it is going to have inherently in it. Yeah. Now, the backstrap, in its essence, if you translate that into beef, it's really just the, the ribeye that runs along the top um, of the back there. So it does offer that you don't need to season it very much. You can add, you know, a little salt, little pepper, little garlic, and it's going to taste good. It's still going to be amazing. But yeah, if you go too far with like a marinade, at at some point you're going to be like, you know what? I'm tasting a lot of marinade here Mm -hmm. at this point, and I've kind of lost my venison in that. So kind of going really simple, really easy when it comes to those less work pieces. I mean, almost a tenderloin at that point, you even just lick it on some flames and it's, it's good to go. You don't, you know, just a tad bit of salt and that's about all you need on one of those tasty bits. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think in, in general, again, if, if, if people are kind of versed on, um, you know, cooking methods for different, for different, uh, I mean, just because the animal's made of meat doesn't mean all the meat is the same, you know. So we we talked about all the the connective tissue and 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 that kind of stuff in the joints, the you know the the, the shanks, the shoulders, that kind of stuff. Anything that gets worked a lot, right? So that you want long, low and slow, make low temperature, um, you know, a little bit of braising liquid and just long term, and that's when you get that fall off the bones, that, you know, like like we like to say. Anything that doesn't have a lot of fat or connective tissue, that's the one where you want, like you said, just lick it with a little bit of flame, you know, just season it lightly. I, I like salt, pepper, garlic powder, right? Um, put that on there and then just just sear it. I like it medium rare. And that way you're not going to dry it out. You try to do that same preparation. You try to basically try to braise or, um, you know, long-term cook a backstrap and it's going to be a hockey puck because there's nothing in it to come out and make it um, internally moist, you know, versus with the shanks and shoulders, like we're talking about, that's what breaks down that connective tissue into that soft gelatin and internally, uh, uh, lubricates it. And that's where you get in the flavor from. I, I don't even want to name the website cause I don't want to give it any, any sort of, uh, acknowledgement that you should ever make whatever they're making. Cause they talked about a shredded backstrap and I was oh. immediately, I, I wanted to click on it, but at the same time, like this is clickbait. I should not, I, I was already going to get like 15 viruses on my computer from just clicking that thing. So I was like, stay far away from that. I was like, I can't understand who would write that. I'm sure that was really good in grandpa's book someplace. But the idea of just, like you said, braising a piece of meat, basically just ill treating it. it, it it's going to make something that you're not going to want to serve to friends and family. And like 
like you mentioned earlier, I don't want to come off as snobbiness, but at the same time, with a little bit of understanding on your pieces, people are going to be more happy with their venison. If they've got a recipe that they just love, like by all means, don't stop doing it. But at the same time, if you can kind of wrap your mind, not necessarily about what goes into a recipe, but how to do a procedure, mm-hmm. man, you are going to be so much happier with what you're doing. Absolutely. All right. One one more uh, kind of quickie. Let's say, uh, uh, do, do you have anything off the top of your head as far as uh, so, something that people could try at home that's going to kind of dip their toe into this, um, uh, you know, home, home, home cook thing? You know, we talked about braising. Uh, again, it's it's it sounds fancy, but it's really, really simple. Think of it like a fancy word for I'm making stuff in a crock pot, which you can braise in a crock pot. That's what, really what you're doing. Right. Um, but, but you know, other than and grinding, what, what else? What else do you think would be like super simple that people kind of overlook? I, I don't think they, they don't overlook it because they love their backstrap. I am going to go to backstrap because I feel like I've got the home run when it comes to getting a backstrap done the exact way that you want it, where it's medium rare on the inside and you've got char on the outside. You've actually got uh, that Maillard effect and can really get a crust on there. If, if Tony Hawk had one trick and that being his 900 that he got famous for the reverse sear is definitely the one that I'm going to die on the cross for. I think for, using a piece of backstrap, not cutting it into medallions, but keeping it into like a third. So you've got a long tubular piece of meat at that point and putting that on a rack and into the oven. And you're going to want to use a meat probe, whether it's an instant probe. Now you're going to want to then check that, um, as it's in the oven, I'm setting that at 300 and no, I'm just setting it 300 degrees. I don't want to overwhelm it with heat, but I want to slowly start adding heat into that. And I want to have a probe ready that when that temperature gets just below where I want it, I'm going to pull it out of the oven and rest it. So I'm almost doing the reverse. I mean, essentially, instead of searing first and then cooking the inside, I'm cooking the inside first and we're going to then come to the sear later. So if I want medium rare, I want to look at like 100 or no, yeah, medium rare. I want to go like 120 degrees. If I want a rare piece, I want to go to 115 and this is all in Fahrenheit. Um, I'm going to pull that rest that meat on the, the counter and I'm either then going to get the grill ripping hot or a piece of cast iron. Once that's hot, I've. I've already added my seasoning onto it as far as just a salt, pepper, garlic, but I'm going to use a little brush and this is going to sound weird. You got to stay with me. I'm going to take mayonnaise and I'm going to put a little thin layer all over this backstrap. You're not going to taste the mayonnaise. What's going to happen is the emulsion of oil and egg is going to caramelize and give you the crust reaction that you're looking for. So that your backstrap is no longer just this gray cooked to that uh, temperature that you're at. But now you're actually going to add that crust to the outside. So I've got this thin layer on and I stick it right onto that cast iron or that grill. And I'm literally giving it enough time to just sear 30 seconds that side, roll it 30 seconds that side, roll it, maybe give it 30 seconds, do the do the ends 
and it's pretty much ready to serve because I've already rested it. It's now hot and ready to go. If you want to then take like, you know, pull it off the heat, put your pad of butter in there, have your crushed uh, garlic cloves and your thyme, you know, you know, do the spoon on thing. If you want to really elevate it, go to that business right there. But what you've done is you're going to then cut, you're going to cross cut that and then serve that as then those medallions um, from that backstrap. And you're going to see that bullseye effect of where it's now well on the outside and then your desired temperature on the inside, you've totally expanded out that medium rare so that you're getting way more of that desired temperature. You're getting a sought after crust on the outside that you wouldn't get without that treatment. Um, oil's not going to just do it. You got to get that the, the mayonnaise to do that. Even if it's just an aioli you make, if you want to go really fancy and use your own, I find Hellman's does a bang up job. And just that thin layer gives the lubrication to not have it stick, but at the same time, give it that crust on the outside. For someone who wants a surefire way, if they're not really adapt to being in the kitchen, just following a few of those steps is going to make you have a home run every time. That's, uh, I think I've heard you say that before, that, that the mayonnaise thing, I've completely forgotten about it. So I'm going to try that next time. That sounds really, I, I'm a big fan of mayo anyway, even though you said you don't, you can't taste the mayo. But um, yeah, I, I want to see what that does. Um, how that changes the, uh, the, the, the crust on the surface. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I'm totally that's, stealing that's... that from the Harvesting Nature guys. They're a great group over there. Um, Corey and Justin, I, I love talking to them. And they had a whole uh, article on that. And it did. I bought it hook, line, and sinker and tried it. And I was like, oh, we got we got to tell the world about that. <laughs> um, this is a little more advanced than, uh, well, I, I guess if you're into it or not. But uh, what about canning? Have you uh, are, have you experimented with canning at all? Do you do any of that? I've eaten plenty of canned meat, but I haven't done my own. It is if you're making a stroganoff mm-hmm. or you've already got your pasta, open up that can and just dump it in, and it's literally you're just warming it through and presenting that. You know, add your cream sauce or whatever. It is a brilliant way to use um, venison to then have almost an indefinite shelf life at that point. You've pretty much cooked it inside of a sealed jar. You know, that, that's the stuff that after the <laughs> after everything does, after shit hits the fan, that's mm-hmm. the stuff that you're going to have. Dude, I, I have a freezer, so I haven't gotten into the canning part of it is I just take those cuts and I keep them in the freezer. So. Yep, I I haven't gotten to the canning, so I'm not necessarily the authority to talk on that. I'm I'm gonna tell everybody I'm, I'm looking I'm looking at because because I do right. So I've got some canned I've, I'm of canned venison. I've got some canned pork here and some canned mountain lion because I was gifted a mountain lion uh, last year from a former oh boss. My and I'm, oh, oh, it's so good. But it tastes just like pork. It's 100% exactly like wild pork. So um so I've got some anyway. But it looks it looks terrible. I mean, it looks like a horrific like horror movie science experiment from some like mad scientist, you know, in the dark basement somewhere in the jar. But it is literally pot roast in a jar. Um, and you're right. You're 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 doing exactly what you're doing to pot roast. You're basically cooking it till it's uh, uh, not necessarily with with low heat, but when you're 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 pressure cooking it, which kind of does the same thing as uh, making it tender and and fall apart and you know shreddable kind of thing. So um, 
yeah, all you need to do is, like you said, if you're because because you mentioned something like, hey, if you if you're kind of uh, you're running late on dinner, what am I going to do? You know, some of that shredded stuff. Well, same deal. If you got this stuff sitting, you know, on your uh, on your shelf, you know, here, you you take it out, you put it in a in a, in a, a little stoop, not a stew pot, like a, a saucepan, whatever, and you can add a little bit more liquid if you want. You can. But all, you to, all you're doing is heating it through, and it's literally just pot roast in a jar. So whatever you're going to do with pot roast, you do with this, you know, and you throw it on stroganoff. You throw it on noodles. You throw it on rice. You throw it on whatever what you want to do. And then just you can even get those, you know, if you want to make your own gravy in there, if it's a little bit of flour and seasoning, go for it as it's, uh, as it's uh, you know, heating through. Or you can just buy like the, you know, the 89-cent uh, McCormick's, um, you know, mushroom gravy or whatever you want. Dump that in there. It thickens it up a little bit. It's amazing. You know, and everyone looks at it like, oh, that looks gross, you know, because it does it doesn't look very appetizing sitting in the jar. <laughs> but for quick dinners, man, it's it's great. And it's the and it's just it's it's just like pot roast. It's nice and tender and and lasts a long, long time. It does. It does. And yeah, yeah. I got I have a couple buddies that that's how they do it. They don't have a very big freezer and they this is the route they've gone because, yeah, this is how their family eats. it. And man, going over there for dinner, they are. Yeah, like the. Again, the tacos, whatever you can have uh, shredded meat in or whatever you have, like just things you can do with that pot roast um, style at that point, man, it's just so versatile. You know, there's so many meals you can make out of it. And so, yeah, having that all on hand, um, that's the way they've chosen to really go with it. Um, I just I just have the freezer, so I, I stick to, to what I know in, in freezing. But uh, my garden aspect, because we've moved to the woods, my garden has really declined so I haven't had the need to uh, to can anything. So hence why I don't have a canner. Ah, yeah. See, that's another rabbit hole too. You can go down the whole canning thing. But uh, yeah, that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we're almost an hour and a half here. Is there uh, is there anything else you want to kind of cover here? And uh, maybe we can we can we can cut this off as a part one. And I'm gonna have you on like later down the line. He's like I said, I can talk like hunting and food uh for hours and hours and hours so you got to cut it off somewhere exactly and right now i'm dealing with the the opposite the pandemic has not been good to me i'm looking at my gut right here i'm i'm sitting pretty heavy even with lean meat (laughs) man maybe i got too many carbs coming in but uh yeah no this this is episode one i think we got episode two in the works at some point yeah yeah. Um, okay. So do you want to, I guess, tell everybody where they can find you and, um, you know, anything else you want to throw out there? Yeah. Uh, first, thank you so much for having me on. This has just been a blast to just be able to, to chit chat. And I'm hoping people glean some, some information off that. If you're looking for any more things that you want to do with wild game or listen to people who really know what they're doing, head over to Huntivore um, podcast that's where I get a chance to talk with people who really know their stuff. And even we just have some average Joes that just share some of their home run ideas so that we can just better utilize and celebrate the wild game that we've been bringing in. Um, over at Sportsman's Nation, you can find my stuff there. And again, there's a lot of guys that are just really relatable when it comes to their hunting and fishing. They're just like us. And we, we want, they want to be able to share their ideas and you can get, uh, content there as well um i'm on yeah the sportsman's nation youtube yeah anywhere sportsman's nation is at and huntivore i've looked it up there's not many people that have that name so i'm trying no. to cover gamut on that so yeah look for me there i'm on instagram that's usually probably my best way to interact 
Um, I'm usually trying to post pictures of either what I'm doing, what I'm making and stuff I'm trying. Um, so yeah, the story's there. I have a lot of stuff that either goes really well or stuff that, well, the dog's going to get fat now because the dog's going to eat fat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right, man, I appreciate it. I'm glad we could do this midday. This is a rarity. I'm actually able to do this because most, most, most people have to beg to do like late at night, you know? So, um, this, this was really good. So, um, all right on that one, uh, I guess we'll end it. Everybody. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, please definitely like share and subscribe. Uh, go check out Nick, go check out uh, Hunivore, uh, Boning Soul, uh, YouTube, um, all that stuff and check out your, you, you said you have some videos out there too, right? The Hunter Hunivore channel on YouTube, right? Um, yeah, the Hunivore channel hasn't quite taken off. Um, I've moved all that content over to Sportsman's Nation. So that I actually have a little tab that says Huntivore on the Sportsman's Nation channel there. So that's where you'll find my stuff at. Got it. All right. On that note, everybody, um, Nick, will you hang on with me a little bit? And everybody, uh, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next time.